This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Again, I want to welcome uh, you if it is your first time with us, or I don't know, your second time, or your 50th time. We want to welcome you. Thank you for being here. We don't believe that anybody comes through these doors by accident. God draws each and every person because he has something that he wants for you. Every single week, every time that he draws you together into the corporate church gathering, he has something for you. Amen? And so if you are a guest with us, we do, and I do encourage you again, please fill out the connection card. Let us get a little information from you uh, and, and uh, let you know a little bit about what's going on here at Harvest. As we get into the Word, I uh, do encourage you guys, as always, to follow along on the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, we do have all of our notes laid out in there. So if you have a mobile device and you have not, I, I mean, does anybody not have the Bible app on their mobile device? Uh, I think it's the, like the most downloaded app in history now uh, across all platforms. Uh, but you can download the Bible app, YouVersion Bible app. If you go to more and hit events, you will find our notes for today are all listed in there. And you can follow right along from that. Uh, we are a family of believers we are a small expression of the body of Christ. We love God. We love people. And our mission is to serve the world. Um, as Church of the Harvest, our vision is to make, grow, and equip disciples, followers of Jesus, to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. Who wants to fulfill their God-given purpose in life? Yeah. Hopefully, that's, I'm glad two-thirds of us do. It's great. If it is your first time, we want you to know we are excited that you're with us. And as has been mentioned before, we are in the 30th week of the longest series I've ever heard of in my life. We're in the 30th week of a 31-week series called The Story. You got it, JJ. The Story. And so, guys, we, uh, we, we, our goal, we have been going through the Bible chronologically. We started in February in Genesis. We're ending next Sunday with the book of Revelation. And our goal has been to understand what this is all about. What has God been up to? What has his plan been? What, what is this thing all about? And, and so our goal has been to understand what we call his upper story and, and what his plan has been throughout history up until today and into eternity. And we know it's all about God's plan to bring humanity back into relationship with him the way he originally intended it, right? So why was that? Quick recap. We were created uh, by God and he wanted relationship with us. But we rejected God's vision. We rejected his plan. We rejected his love, right? And so, instead of life being part of our story, death became part of our story. And with that came the fallen world. And so, we find for the first time, we find uh, pain and illness and rejection and anger and loneliness and doubt and depression and all these things that suddenly became a part of the story of humanity because we rejected God's plan and his love. And that relationship with him. And because of that, the relationship was now broken. God wants us back, so he launches a plan through Israel. He brings Jesus, God in the flesh. He would grow up as a human being. He would walk among us for three years. He would teach us. He would heal us. He would do signs, wonders, and miracles. But on a Friday 2,000 years ago, he accomplished what he came to do, right? He was crucified on a cross. And we know that in that moment, all of our sins were transferred to Jesus on the cross. He paid the price for that sin. But how many would say, praise the Lord, he did not stay in that grave? Three days later, he rose from the dead and he defeated Satan, death, hell, and the grave. Which brings us to what we started talking about two weeks ago. Somebody say the good news. What is the good news? The good news is that any person 
Say any person. Anybody. Doesn't matter what your past is. Doesn't matter where you've come from. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you live. Doesn't matter your gender. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter your race. Any person, any person that surrenders and puts their faith on the work and the person of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin becomes a new creation. They receive the gift of eternal life in the presence of God. There is an open door back to the Father. Amen? And because we have this hope, we can now live fearlessly in this world regardless of what happens because we know that God is for us. And so when we live according to the principles of God's word, it brings success and it brings joy and it brings purpose into our lives. And it even brings strength to endure difficult times, right? So here's the question that I asked last week. Ago, I asked last week. If the mission is to get out the good news, how are people going to hear it? Somebody say, he's talking about me again. <laughs> I love that four of you said it. That's great. He's talking about me. He's talking about you. It's the good news. When Jesus told us to go into all the world, this is the mission that Jesus gives us. That This is now your story. This is my story. This is where we are finally a part of what we have been reading about this entire year. Now, things have changed. The mission has not changed. The circumstances has changed. The Lord is still all about bringing people back into relationship with him, right? However, the circumstances have changed. Because of Jesus, there is now an open door back to the Father. The catch is, people have got to know there's an open door. And they've got to make the choice to step through that open door back into the Father's arms, right? We can't make them, right? So our job is to be always leading people back to him. And we talked about how he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can truly be Jesus in the earth, walking in his name and walking in his authority and walking in his power in the earth. So as we talked about last week, as followers of Jesus, you, you are the church. You are the body of Christ. You have a vital part to play. You are representative Jesus, representative of Jesus. You have a mandate to share the good news and the saving grace of Jesus in your sphere of influence and ultimately in the world. We are to proclaim that the door is wide open, that forgiveness is granted, that God is not angry. You can repent and come back. Guys, it's the greatest news the world has ever, ever heard. The greatest love story of all time. So the past two weeks, we talked a little bit. We looked a little bit at the life of Paul. And, and uh, chapter 30 was called Paul's Final Days. Really, it was Paul's Final Years. Uh, but, uh, but it was all about the end of, of Paul's life there. And uh, I, I know you guys would agree that there is so much to learn from just the example of the Apostle Paul, much less uh, all the incredible teachings that we have from him in, uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the epistles. So that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes. I want to talk about the lessons that we can learn from the Apostle Paul and how it applies to our lives today. What can we learn from the Apostle Paul that we can apply to our story? And, and guys, I want you to understand that next week we will briefly end with the book of Revelation and look you know, at the future, but 
Revelation is really a guide for us. It's a guide to confirm what's happening as it comes. Jesus told us what's going to happen in the end as well, right? We have certain guides that have been given to us to show us what is happening in the world. But the New Testament has taught us how to live out our story for God every day. So if we can get a grasp on what we've learned through the New Testament, if we can get a grasp on that, if we will seek God, if we will seek proper discipleship in our lives, if we will receive and submit to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I will present to you that you will be ready for whatever is to come. It's all about having oil in your lamp. And we'll get to that next week. So we're going to discuss today for a few minutes um, the Apostle Paul, like I say, this kind, of finalizes, this kind of finalizes God's instruction to the church and how to operate in the world today. And so what can we learn from the Apostle Paul? I'm going to give you three things. Number one, number one, Paul was all in from day one. And I, I heard some of you. That's right. Amen. Yes. Yes, he was. No, guys, this isn't common. This isn't ordinary. This isn't generally what we see today. This is huge. I've mentioned this before, but one of the things that has grieved me most in recent years is I've thought about how many people have sat in a church and heard a good message and repeated a prayer to receive Jesus. And nothing in their life changed. Nothing. Bothers me. Worries me. You know, I think that in some ways we, we, we've just made it so easy. But this, this isn't what we see in Scripture. When somebody receives Jesus, there is a radical change. In scripture. And that's what I want to look at for a minute. And what I want to do, I want to go back. I know it kind of goes back into last week a little bit, but I want to go back to Paul's first encounter with Jesus again. So if you got a Bible, you can go back to Acts, go to Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 5, and you guys know a lot of this. I'm going to read from some different versions today. I'm going to read from the ESV, the New American Standard, the Passion, different ones, uh, just to get a little bit different perspective. But it says here, remember, Paul has just been given warrants, right? He's been, just been given authority to go arrest followers of the way, followers of Jesus. It says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responds, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, I see several things here. One, we see Paul confronted with the reality of Jesus, right? Paul knew who Jesus was, but he didn't know who Jesus was. He is now confronted with Jesus the Messiah, right? By Jesus the Messiah. And Probably his first encounter with Jesus was a little more uh, dramatic than most of ours. I don't know if any of you have had a light shine down from heaven that blinded you and knocked you off your donkey. Didn't happen to me. 
But it's the same thing. Saul was confronted with the reality of Jesus. The next thing I see, I see conviction as he's confronted with his sin. You see it here? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's saying, Saul, why are you fighting the truth? Why are you trying to be a stumbling block? Why are you trying to silence God's voice in the earth? Why are you persecuting my followers? You don't think Paul felt some conviction all of a sudden? It makes me think about, some of you know our dog, Uno. She's had this, he's had this thing lately where he likes getting into our trash can and getting our jack. Who did I say? Sorry, Uno's been gone for a little while. Jack, he, he loves getting in the trash can, and what he really loves is snot tissues. Yum. And he spreads them out around the house. And we walk in and we see it. And he sees us and he immediately is like. Because he knows he did the wrong thing. And I can just imagine Saul in that moment. He's convicted as he's confronted by his sin. Right? We see Saul respond to the voice of Jesus by calling him Lord. Now he says, who are you, Lord? I know whoever that voice is. I know that voice is Lord. So who are you, Lord? He's responding to the voice of Jesus and calling him Lord. The word Lord there is the Greek word kairos, which means, well, Lord. And in the New Testament, it generally refers to God the Messiah. This is Paul's he was Saul at the time, his first encounter with Jesus. So what happens next? Go down a couple, actually, very, very next verse, verse 6, Acts chapter 9, verse 6. Jesus is speaking to him still here. He says, but rise, enter the city, and you will be told what to do. And it says, the men who were traveling with Paul, with Saul, were stood speechless, hearing the voice, but not seeing anyone. So Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So he led him by the hand, they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, he neither ate nor drank. So Jesus tells Saul to go on into the city, right? It's his first command to him. What does Saul do? He goes into the city. He obeys, obedience. Very first thing that he does, he decides to trust and obey because there is no other way. Never mind. After this, we know that God sends Ananias, right? God sends Ananias to heal Saul, and it says to lead him in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That empowerment we've been talking about for the last couple weeks, right? Remember, I told you, I believe that Saul was already saved at this point. I believe that he had experienced conviction. I believe he was repentant of his sin and he had confessed Jesus as Lord. I believe that this point, even blind, he was, a, he was a follower of Jesus from now on. But Ananias comes and brings him the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then we go on to verse, go down a few more verses, go down to verse 19. I'm going to read to you from the New American Standard. It says, now for several days, he, he's still in this same spot. For several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. He's still in Damascus. And verse 20 says, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the Son of God. Let me read it to you from the Passion Translation. Look at this. It says, after eating a meal... Remember, he's just been healed, right? He's taken a day or two. It says his body has recovered. After eating a meal, his strength returned. And verse 20 says, 
What are the next three words? Within the hour. Within the hour, he was in the synagogues preaching about Jesus and proclaiming Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus the Messiah. Kairos, Lord. Within the hour, guys. Can you guys see the change? Remember, just a couple of days before, he was given all authority to arrest followers of Jesus, people who said Jesus was Lord. A couple of days later, he is standing boldly in the synagogues in the middle of all the Jewish leaders proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. If that's not a radical change, I don't know what is. You would think he would be a little nervous. Obviously, this was not going to be a popular message. He might even be seen as a traitor. Do we see timidity in him? No, we don't. He is a changed man. He is all in. And actually, as we move on, you'll see that everybody else notices as well. If you go down uh, to the next, next verse, I'm still in the Passion Translation, verse 21. It says, those who heard him, this is Paul speaking in the synagogues, declaring that Jesus is Lord. Those who heard him were astonished, saying to themselves, isn't this the Saul who furiously persecuted those in Jerusalem who called on the name of Jesus? Didn't he come here with permission from the high priest to drag them off and take them as prisoners? And look at verse 22. Saul's power increased greatly as he became more and more proficient in proving that Jesus was the anointed Messiah. And look at the next words. Saul remained there several days with the disciples, even though it agitated the Jews of Damascus. Just a few days have gone by. You see this? He was only in Damascus for just several days. And in that, it says his power was increasing greatly as he became more and more proficient in proving Jesus is Messiah. In a matter of days. He's only in Damascus for those few days when people started trying to kill him. And we know that a couple verses later, we know that uh, it was actually some people that Saul had led to Jesus. They... Uh, put him in a basket and lowered him through a hole in the city wall so he would escape and not get killed, right? So where does he go from there? A lot of us would probably run into hiding. There's people trying to kill me. He goes to Jerusalem. You talk about a hotbed. He walks right back to Jerusalem, guys, right where he had gotten authorization to, to imprison followers of the way. He walks right back into Jerusalem. He doesn't think this is going to cause issue. We know that he goes and he meets up with the apostles and the church leaders. If you go down a few more verses, go down to verse um, 28. It says, so he went in and out among them. Talking about Paul going in and out among the, the apostles and the church leaders. Preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Uh, the Hellenists were just a uh, sect of the Jews that had incorporated uh, Greek culture into their beliefs. Uh, so he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So again, these people that, that, that uh, Saul's leading to Jesus, they're, they're trying to save him again because people are trying to kill him. 
right? So for the second time in, a, in, in maybe two weeks, instead of Saul trying to kill people, people are trying to kill Saul. There's been a change. The only thing that's changed in him is he's surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. He refused to be silent. He's all in from day one, even if it costs him his life, no matter the consequence. And this is the pattern we see in Saul's life all the way to the end. And as I was saying a moment ago, I, I, think, many times, I think many times we've made this salvation thing too easy. I think that as the church, and I'm not just talking about Church of the Harvest, as the church, I think we've gotten into this mode of, of trying to win souls, trying to get another number for the kingdom. So we brought it to this point where we just say, hey, brother, all you got to do is ask Jesus in your heart. Just repeat after me. Wrong. That's not it. It's not it. It's not it. It's not true. It's about repentance. It's about turning from our sin. It is about surrendering to the lordship of Jesus. It is about confessing Jesus as Lord. But the evidence of that confession of Jesus is Lord is laying down your life and becoming a lifelong servant of God. That's the evidence of the confession that you really did it. Does that make sense? You're teaching works, brother. No, I'm not preaching works. Preaching fruit like Jesus did. Something has to change. I would go so far as to suggest that if nothing in your life changed when you confessed Jesus as Lord of your life, then you didn't really confess him as Lord. The words may have come out of your mouth, but it's not what was within your heart. And it's within the heart. It's, that's what really matters, right? You can't make Jesus Lord of your life and not see your life to begin to change. Does this make sense? It's real quiet in here. Guys, the world is desperate for followers of Jesus that will be all in regardless of the consequences. And I would even suggest that the lack of this, I'm talking about the church having a lot of lukewarm, wishy-washy Christians, it might be part of what has caused the world to be so hard-hearted toward the gospel. They're not seeing something genuine. They see their coworker who goes to church and maybe even claims to be a Christian, but their life in every other way looks no different than theirs. Well, why do I need to go to a church then? And why do I need to be a part of that? There's no difference if there's no change. It actually delegitimizes the message of the gospel. Paul made a huge impact, and that was my first point. Paul was all in from day one. And please understand this too. Paul was far from perfect. He said it over and over again. But he was trucking forward. <laughs> Amen? So Paul was all in from day one. Second thing I want to mention Number two, Paul endured many hardships. Again, amen. 
We know that, right? But the thing is, I think Christians have long had this idea that if you are following the Lord, you won't go through rough times. Anybody found that to be true? If so, I want you to teach me what you know. If you just trust him, everything will go smoothly in your life. Really. If you just tithe, you will never again have financial difficulty. If you just have faith, you'll never even have to fight the symptom of an illness. Hmm. If you just pray with your spouse every day, you'll never have a disagreement. If you treat people with the love of Jesus, you'll find favor with them all. Somebody say, wrong. It's not true. It's not true. All those things are great to do and even important, but difficulties will still come. Isn't that encouraging? Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for difficulties. Paul had to endure many hardships. And you guys know he, he mentions them a few different times. But look real quick at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And again, most of you know this passage. So I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Translation this time. But it says, I have worked much harder for God. I've taken more beatings and been dragged to prisons more than they. I've been flogged excessively multiple times, even to the point of death. Five times I received 39 lashes from the Jewish leaders. Three times I experienced being beaten with rods. Once they stoned me. Three times I've been shipwrecked. For an entire day and night I was adrift in the open sea. In my difficult travels I've faced many dangerous situations. Perilous rivers, robbers, foreigners, even my own people. I survived daily, uh, deadly peril in the city, in the wilderness, with storms at sea. And, and look at this, I've never heard it worded this way. And spies posing as believers. Yikes, man. I've toiled to the point of exhaustion and gone through many sleepless nights. I've frequently been deprived of food and water and left hungry and shivering in the cold, lacking proper clothing. And besides these painful circumstances, I have the daily pressure of my responsibility for all the churches with a deep, con deep concern weighing heavily on my heart for their welfare. The Apostle Paul was all in, guys. And his life wasn't over yet when he wrote this. He would endure more. There's been a meme that's been going around on social media lately that uh, I find kind of funny, very, very true. Throw that up real quick. How many of you have seen this? But my life is so hard, right? You can take that down. Can you guys imagine what it would be like to have a conversation with the Apostle Paul about how hard it is to be a Christian today? Could you imagine? Paul, it is so hard. I don't have any believers at work. They might make fun of me. What if one of them's sick and I pray for them and, and, and they don't get better? They're going to laugh at me. They're not going to believe. I, I, can't, I can't gather with them anyway. I'm not supposed to gather with them. I can't even get together with believers even in a safe manner because there's a sickness right now. 
You don't understand. It's 2020 and it's an election year and my candidate might not win and the world might implode. (laughs) Paul, you just don't understand. I know what Jesus has called me to do. I understand, Paul, but, but you just don't get it. I'm too young. I'm too old. It's not my gifting. Ooh, I've heard that. I have too much work. I'm too tired. My kids play competitive sports. How can I possibly be expected to do more than watch church online once a week? You know, I, you know how we get an impression when, as you read through the Bible, you get an impression of certain Bible characters. I, I see Paul. He was always, he was always very submitted to authority and and and, and such. But he was also, he was also bold, right? And we, we see him, we see him confronting Peter, getting in his face, right, and confronting him. And so I can just imagine if we had this conversation with Paul, you know what I picture him saying? I. I I, I can be a bit of a sarcastic person, and that's the way I picture Paul. Oh, you poor little baby. Do I need to call the ambulance? <laughs> Suck it up. Because I'm not trying to be disrespectful toward Paul at all. I'm, I'm, I'm really not. But I believe that if he wrote a letter to the church today... I'm afraid it would be scathing. Seriously. He he writes some tough stuff in some of them letters to some of them churches. What would it look like today? Lord Jesus. (laughs) Worse than Galatians. So many Christians today seem to think that the church in America is being persecuted today. If you think this is persecution, you ain't seen nothing yet. Ain't seen nothing. Nothing. At the very most, we might, and I put that might in italics, we might be seeing some birth pains and some things to come. But up until this point, we've really only been inconvenienced. Paul endured hardship that most of us have not endured and may never. But Paul knew how to hang in there, and he knew where his strength came from. Paul was all in from day one. Paul endured many hardships. That's the last thing I want to mention this morning. Paul's life was anchored to a hope that few people could understand. Paul's life was anchored to a hope that few could understand. So Paul talks quite a bit about, quite a few times about his suffering in Scripture, but Does it ever in any way appear like he's seeking pity? No, not in any way. As a matter of fact, multiple times he actually mentions what an honor it is to be worthy to be persecuted for Jesus. In other words, he said, I'm doing something right. I know that because I'm being persecuted for it, right? Well, it kept him hanging on. We know that he was imprisoned for two years in Caesarea by Governor Felix. We know that he was allowed to live in a house in Rome for two years, right? But he wasn't allowed to leave that house. And there was a Roman guard there with him. 
two years, guys. Talk about quarantine. He was released for a little while, but ends up back in a Roman dungeon where he would live out his final days waiting, awaiting his execution. We know that this was done under, uh, under the Emperor Nero. Some of you may have read about that if you read the heart of the story this week. Um, anybody know anything about Nero? That brother was a bad dude right there. We know from history that Nero, he was the emperor of Rome um, during that time. He was uh, displeased with his first wife, so he killed her. Uh, he was displeased with his second wife, and so um, he, she was pregnant. He beat her up and kicked her in the stomach and killed her. We know that he, um, first century historians tell us um, that he tortured and executed Christians because, and quote what they've translated, he said, these people are given to new and mischievous superstitions. So what did he do? He was known to have Christians crucified on the trees in his personal garden. He would coat them in wax while they were still alive and light them on fire to, to provide light for his daily walks. Any, you know anybody that's suffered that kind of hardship? He was known for binding up Christians and feeding them alive to starving dogs. And it was under him that Peter was crucified upside down. It was under him that Paul was beheaded. So Nero, we know, was, I could say, he was a bad dude. And it's, it's, it's funny, all the issues we have with our politicians and government leaders today. And we've never experienced anything close to what they suffered through back then. I mean, guys, we have to go back and look at the dark ages. History has been so much worse than what we're experiencing today. So in the end of our reading, Paul is sitting in this Roman dungeon. We know that he's in shackles. And he is awaiting execution. I can't imagine that. Imagine, imagine sitting on death row, just waiting on the date for your life to be taken. He knows he's going to be executed. He was Roman. He, he knew he probably wasn't going to be crucified. He'd be beheaded. So he's awaiting his head to be cut off. So while he's sitting there in this dungeon, he writes a final letter to his son in the Lord, Timothy, right? And if you were writing your final letter to somebody you considered to be family while you were sitting in prison, what would you write? Again, is Paul seeking pity or sympathy? We don't see that in any way. Was he asking for money or a care pack or brownies? Nope. Look at what he writes. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. And again, you guys know this passage about not being ashamed of the gospel, but I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. So never be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor be embarrassed over my imprisonment, but overcome every evil by the revelation of the power of God. I mean, no, Paul's learned some things. He gave us resurrection life and drew us to himself by his holy calling on our lives. And it wasn't because of any good that we had done, but by his divine pleasure and marvelous grace that confirmed our union with the anointed Jesus even before time began. This truth is now being unveiled by the revelation of the anointed Jesus, our life giver. 
one sitting waiting to be executed is talking about his life giver, right? Who dismantled death, obliterating all its effects on our lives and has manifested his immortal life in us by the gospel. And he has anointed me the dude sitting in prison for his final days waiting to be beheaded. He has anointed me as his preacher, his apostle, and his teacher of truth to the nations. The confidence of my calling enables me to overcome every difficulty without shame for I have an intimate revelation of this God. And my faith in him convinces me that he is more than able to keep all that I placed in his hands safe and secure until the fullness of his appearing. This is a dude waiting for his head to be cut off, guys. He saw something that others couldn't see. It's widely agreed upon that this was written just before his, um, his execution. And guys, Paul went out well, amen? He finished his race well. He sat in prison for years and was still changing the world from a prison cell. We think we can't do anything for the Lord because of all those excuses. We think we can't do anything for the Lord because of a virus. Guys, these are just the latest excuses. Amen? In this, we see Paul was all about legacy. During his life, he was constantly investing in others. He was pouring out wisdom and admonition and correction and advice. And through it all, he led by example. As I said, the days that we are living in are so much easier than many of the days of history. So much easier. We don't have a fraction of the challenges that faced those who went before us. We have to begin to stand up as the body of Christ. To take our rightful place. To love as Jesus loved to truly be the body of Christ and to share the good news. And guys, make no mistake, the Father holds us responsible. Amen? He holds us responsible for the lives around us. Doesn't mean that we can make them believe, but we can sure present it to them as Jesus would. And we can stand before the Father with a clean conscience, right? You know how... You know how the book of Revelation talks about how in heaven he will wipe away every tear? I personally believe that it's mainly connected to this. I think that in the end, we're going to stand before him. And I believe we're going to start having a moment of broke down. I could have done more. I could have reached this person and that person and that person. But I was too busy but I was too scared, but I was too this, or I was too that, whatever the excuse may be. It'll be a, it'll be a forever regret. You would think there wouldn't be regrets in heaven, but I don't think we're ever going to look back and go, I'm glad I didn't tell about that person about Jesus. I think we're always going to say, wow, I wish I had done that differently back then. But we're not going to live with guilt and condemnation and shame, right? That's all wiped away. But what a gift from the Lord that we were born into a relatively 
peaceful time in history. What a gift from the Lord that we were born into the United States of America with its flaws and all. What a blessing. But let me tell you this, and I'll close, close with this. In a Pew Research Center survey conducted in, 28, in 2008, in the survey in 2008, 77% of American adults described themselves as Christian when asked their religion. 77%. And guys, I don't trust that stat because a lot of people out there call themselves Christian don't have any idea why. They can't tell you what makes them a Christian. But this survey in 2008, 77% of Americans claimed Christianity. The same survey was done 10 years later in 2018. Instead of 77% of Americans describing themselves as Christians, it was now 65%. 12% drop, guys. 12% drop in 10 years. What do you think it is today? In 2009... In this, I think, a similar survey, 17% of Americans described themselves as atheist or agnostic. In 2009, 17%. In 2019, it had jumped to 26% described themselves as atheist or agnostic. 9% increase in 10 years. Any way you look at these stats, it's not good. It's not good where we're headed. Y'all need to agree with me. (laughs) It's not good. The church as a whole is not right now walking out the mission that Jesus has given. Amen? It's not good. I don't know what the future holds in the next year in the natural, the next two years, the next five years. But I do know this. The kingdom of God has not changed since the days of the Apostle Paul. The kingdom of God has not been shaken. It has not been moved. The mandate that we see Jesus give in the book of Acts that is our mandate, it has not changed regardless of what happens in the world. It hasn't changed. And the only reason that we as believers are alive in the earth today is to be a beacon of hope and to share the good news. It's the only reason we're in the earth today. Well, I'm here to worship the Lord, brother. You're going to do that. That's part of who you are. You're going to do that in eternity. You can do that here. You can do that in heaven. You can do that anywhere. Yes, do it here. But it's not the reason you're in the earth. The reason you are in the earth, we're talking about a location. The reason you are here is to share the good news. And I would suggest that we better take advantage of the time that we've been given, especially considering that it's still relatively easy. If we can't do it now, how are we going to do it when things really do start getting tough? We've got to follow the example of the Apostle Paul. Amen? We are going to conclude next week. But guys, as I said, this is like the end of God's instruction on how to live the Christian life. How to fulfill the mission that Jesus has given. 
how to be who God has called you to be. And so I want you to stand up on your feet, and I want you to evaluate your heart. Where are you at? This is what we compare our lives to. This is the standard. We look today at the example of the Apostle Paul, but as we read last week, he said, follow my example because I'm following the example of Jesus. Let's follow his example together, right? As the reason where we're at as a society today is because the body of Christ isn't standing up and doing what it's supposed to. And that doesn't start with a good message or good preaching. That starts with us individually making a decision to be who God called us to be. Amen? Making the decision to truly surrender our life to Jesus and to his will and his way. Let's bow our heads together. First and foremost, guys, this, <laughs> this doesn't mean anything to you if, you're, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus. If you have not bowed your life to him, then most of this doesn't mean much to you. And so I want to give that opportunity. Guys, again, I don't care if you have recited a prayer that asked Jesus into your heart. My question to you today is, is your life surrendered to Jesus? I'll take it one step further. Are you all in? Guys, it convicts me. First and foremost, if you look and you recognize right now in your life that you are, your life is not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, if you recognize that you have not repented and turned from your sin and that you're not following Jesus' word, that you're not following his example and his life, and that's your, this is your moment. With every head bowed, if that's you, and you would say, I've got to surrender my life to Jesus today. Guys, lift up your hand and let me see it right quick. I know there's got to be a couple. Come on. Who would say, I have got to surrender my life today? I've got to go in further. Who would say, I need Jesus? Maybe you're watching online. Doesn't matter if you're here in person or not. He's with you. He is standing at the door of your heart. How do you respond to Jesus? Just as he asked, who do you say that I am? I'm asking you today to confess Jesus as Lord of your life and back that up by repenting and turning of your sin and following his example and his lead in this life. Let's pray together. Everybody just pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I am so lost on my own. I'm so hopeless without you. I'm so lost in my sin, my guilt and my shame. I know I have fallen short. And today I repent. I'm not just saying I'm sorry, but I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning the other way. And I'm following Jesus. Jesus, just like Paul, I confess that you are Lord. 
you are Lord of my life and you are Lord of all. And so I surrender my life to you. I will follow your way. I will follow you, your word. And I will not look back. I choose to be all in, running after you hard all the days of my life. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this moment. And I ask you to fill me, baptize me, empower me to be everything you called me to be. That I would follow you to the end. That I could be that beacon of hope in the world, pointing to the saving grace of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I want us to sing this worship chorus again about God's faithfulness. How many of you are glad that God has proved himself faithful in your life? Of course, it, of course you still go through difficulties and different things, but he has never left you and never forsaken you. And he is there for you to pick you up and to help you walk along the way. He is your strength. But guys, the words that really got me today were all in. We have got to be all in. If we're going to claim to be followers of Jesus, we have got to be all in. Like I said, if we don't, we delegitimize the message. We take away the credibility of it before these folks. We got to be all in. So as we sing this, I just encourage you to just sing as a surrender to the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to shine his light in your life and to point out those areas in your heart that maybe you've hidden away. Those areas that maybe you haven't allowed him access. Those areas where he's been encouraging you for weeks or months or years. He's been trying to bring your attention to it and say, hey, I want, to, I want you to do something about this thing in your life. And you've kind of ignored it. I want you to surrender, guys. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.